Good morning. God bless you for being with us and worshiping this wonderful King today. We're going to continue in the story of Acts 1, and if you've got a Bible, you can open up there. But um, first, I want to I want to test your musical knowledge this morning. Uh, here's what I'm going to do. We've got some small snippets of songs, and I want to see if you can figure out what these songs are, uh, you know, who, who sing them, sang them, or um, maybe the title of the song or where it came from. Uh, but here's the twist. These are covers. These are popular songs you've probably heard a lot in your life, perhaps, but um, they are, they, there's a little bit of a different uh, musical flair to them. So I wanted to see if you've got a, a good musical ear this morning and see if you can guess what these songs are. If you're, if you're here and you know it, you know, immediately kind of turn to somebody next to you. You can whisper it. Uh, you, can, you can let me know when it's done. Uh, we'll start kind of earlier 1940s music, and then we'll make our way a little bit newer. And uh, if you're watching uh, online this morning, you can type it in the chat. Let us know if you know what it is. So let's just try it here, okay? So listen to this song. See if you can guess what this song is. Okay. There's a bright golden haze on the meadow There's a bright golden haze on the meadow So that one? It's from Oklahoma. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Sounds a little different, doesn't it? Yeah, it's from, uh, it's from the, uh, let's see if we got the picture up here, from Rodgers and Hammerstein, uh, 1943, maybe not. <laughs> it's from the musical Oklahoma, but it sounds a little different, it's a covered tune. Okay, so let's, let's go move forward in time a little bit, okay, let's see if you can pick up this song based on uh, the lyrics, go ahead. Though I tried before to tell her of the feelings I have for her. from the 1980s, Bill. I know you're a big fan. Every time that I come near her, I... That's the police, right? Okay, good. 1980s, all right. I see the 1980s fans. Let's move it into the 90s for just a second. Let's see if you can recognize this song. Go ahead. So no one told you life was gonna be this way. Your job's a joke. You're broke, your love life's DOA. It's like you're always. It's a TV theme song, if that helps. And when it hasn't been your day, your week. Okay, what's that? What's, what's the show? Friends. It's from the Friends TV show, is the theme song. The Rembrandts sang it. You remember that? Okay, all right. Well, one more. Let's see. Well, we'll move into the 2000s now and see if you can pick up this one. Go ahead and listen to this one. I think I did it again. I made you believe. One more than just friends. Oh, baby, it might seem like a crush. But it doesn't mean that I'm serious. Because you lose all my How about that one? That is Britney Spears, as sung as a 1920s like, swing music. 
Well, you did pretty well. I'm pretty impressed. I, I, what I really love is the moment when I see understanding click in your eyes, you know? First of all, you know, you're taking a moment and you're just sort of listening and waiting and the lyrics are kind of brushing over your memory, you know? And then, and then it's like, you know, then, then recognition hits. You get it. And in Acts chapter 1, I wonder if the first followers of Jesus were the same. You know, last week we began kind of our year-long study here in the book of Acts. And, and in a lot of ways, we as the church have been playing cover songs of the book of Acts for 2,000 years. Same lyrics, but a little different tune through the ages. We are witnesses like they. We are spirit-empowered. But the tune in our day looks a little bit different. And in Acts 1, we see this, this resurrected Jesus, and he told his followers to stay in Jerusalem and wait. So, Acts 1, verse 12, the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, the Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. So, imagine this. They, they were waiting. They were listening. Scripture and prayer was brushing up against their souls. And, and, and they're almost getting it, you know? And the Spirit is about to come and empower them and send them off in new directions all around the world. And I wonder for us this morning, could you use the Spirit's direction in your life? Could you use a new tune? Well, I don't know about you. Maybe this pandemic has you feel like you're just spinning your wheels right now, waiting to return to normal or something. Or maybe, honestly, you're, you're busy, but you just wonder, like, am I accomplishing anything? Or maybe you've suffered and, and, and you've grieved and, and you desperately want God to give you a new direction, a new, a new mission, a new, a new thing. Maybe you've even made some huge mistakes in your life and you wonder, am I even welcome here? <laughs> and the question that strikes you, how can I hear the Spirit's direction in my life? How can we hear that as a church? What, what strikes the flint and creates the spark for God's Spirit to set us aflame and the whole world around us? And I think this little story in Acts 1 offers a couple of ways to answer that question. What, what strikes the flint of God's flame in the world? How do we follow his direction? Well, one way we think of often is this, you know, is it burning bridges with people who have left us? <laughs> and sometimes we think about that, you know. Uh, sometimes we think of a new start and we're tempted to sort of cut people out of the new beginning, you know, out with the old, in with the new. It may create some conflict with people. It may cut ties. You may criticize. You may burn bridges. That's certainly true in a church family, a big temptation. Sometimes God does new things in a church and people leave. And so what do the rest of us do? Well, sometimes people, <laughs> some people cheer their leaving. Good riddance. I didn't really like them that much anyway. Sometimes people leave our lives or leave the church family and we hatch some excuses or conspiracies about it all. Well, they, they left and nobody's saying, but I, I heard that the preacher's trying to turn the church into a Buddhist temple. Ugh, no. Sometimes you stay connected to the person, you scan their social media and you kind of watch from afar waiting for them to fail. I knew they wouldn't make it without me. But those are bad ways to cover the tune of God's good news. And these first followers of Jesus in Acts, they, they could have done that too. Judas left. 
Judas betrayed them. He sold Jesus to some Jewish leaders for 30 pieces of silver. And while they're now waiting for God's spirit to spark them in a new direction, then they could have cut Judas's reputation. They could have hatched conspiracy theories about him. They could have never spoken of him again. But instead, look in Acts 1, verse 15. In those days, again, this is Jesus is resurrected from the grave and he has now ascended into the heavens with the right, at the right hand of the Father. But this is before the Spirit has come in Pentecost. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. In the tradition of the rabbis, 120 was the, the minimum number of people to constitute a Sanhedrin. So this church is coming together. It's a thing. And Peter said... Brothers and sisters, the scripture has to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas. Oh boy, you never want to hear an individual's name spoken out in public, but certainly not this one. Judas. I mean, these people had gathered together and they'd been through so much together. Their Lord had died and their hope with him. And for three days, he was in the grave. And then he resurrected from the grave. Imagine the roller coaster. And he appeared to them over a course of 40 days. All these things up and down, over and over. I can't imagine, though, that anyone there wanted to hear this name. Judas. Come on, Peter. Let it lie. Don't bring him up. But since Peter brings it up, Luke inserts a little of his backstory, verse 18, with the, the payment that Judas received for his wickedness. He bought a field, and there he fell headlong, and his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Boy, this is graphic stuff. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language a keldama, that is the field of blood. This, this ragtag group of people are gathered together and they're waiting for God to do something amazing. And this man from their past throws water all over everything. This is tragic. This is public. This is the elephant in the room. Now, Matthew gave an account of Judas's death as well. And, and maybe you've read that before. There's uh, some differences in detail in the stories, but they tell the same story, same song, different tune. And as far back as the Latin Vulgate, attempts have, have been made to harmonize these stories. You know, Judas hung himself, but maybe his body fell and it burst open on the ground. But whatever the case is, Judas betrayed Jesus. A field was bought with the blood money and he died a grisly death. And you can imagine these people saying, geez, best to cut ties with him, distance ourselves from him. Badmouth him, make an example of him. But Peter refuses. Verse 16, he said, The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who, here's his description, served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. True. And now here's his commentary He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. That's what he said about Judas? Literally, he shared the lot, the clayron of this ministry. A clayron was a little stone used in casting lots. We'll see that again in verse 26. And uh, was a word that came to be used to describe offices or positions, especially in the church. We use words very similar to clayron today for that kind of thing. We talk about clergy or cleric. 
Peter, when speaking of Judas, says he was clergy like us. He didn't burn bridges. He didn't cut him out of their lives. He didn't badmouth them or destroy his reputation. He almost sounds sad. And I guess when I thought about the disciples after Judas' betrayal, I always thought of them as angry. Judas destroyed everything. Jesus got Jesus arrested and, and ultimately killed, and, and he stopped this, this military Messiah from taking over and reclaiming the, king for, the kingdom for Israel. And, and surely the people were angry about that, but, but you get the picture that maybe there was grief. After all, Judas was with them from the beginning. Probably some good times. Sat around the campfire and told stories, some jokes on the road all together in the presence of Jesus. Jesus, after all, chose him. Sure, he ended really poorly, but was everything bad? I bet this stings for them, and, and yet they don't slander him. They don't cut ties. They don't badmouth him. Even when they all prayed in verse 25, they referred to his role as uh, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Well, that sounds kind of judgmental, but John Polhill points out the Greek is softer than it sounds. Literally, they talk about how Judas left to go to his own place or to the place of his own choosing. He's gone, but they don't wash their hands of him. They don't cheer his demise. Why? Why don't they? This is public. Why don't they distance themselves? Why don't they cancel him? So all the world will know this group, not about that. I think maybe because as Peter recalls Judas's gruesome death, he got a grim reminder of his own failure. Peter is he that much different than Judas? He denied his Lord in the high priest's courtyard, denied even knowing him. His head hung too, not on a rope, but in shame. Maybe he wouldn't burn bridges with Judas because, you know, sin, it cuts both ways. And it still does. When you're tempted to cut ties with someone in your life, when you're tempted to create some conflict with someone who's hurt you, someone who's betrayed you or who's left you, you know, all the exes of our lives, ex-boyfriends and girlfriends, ex-spouses, ex-church members, ex-employees and employers and ex, maybe it would be helpful to remind ourselves of our own abandonment, our own betrayals, our own sin and checkered past. Because honestly, if you want God's direction for your life and the Spirit, that doesn't mean crucifying others in your life who don't. Just ask Ben Schlappig. <laughs> ben is one of these guys um, among a group of obsessive flyers whose mission is, it is to sort of outwit the airline frequent flyer programs and find loopholes and find ways to fly for free, all these kinds of things. His mission is pretty clear. Fly for free as much as possible without getting caught. And boy, he's done it. Uh, starting way back in April of 2014, uh, he went through a hard breakup, and so he wanted a new direction in his life, and so he uh, 
left the lease on his apartment in Seattle. He went to the airport. He got on a plane. And in one year alone, he flew 400,000 miles, enough to circle the globe 16 times in one year. He went 43 weeks without sleeping in a bed that wasn't in a hotel. He spent an average, an average of six hours every day in the sky, just logging those flight miles, most of the time for free. <laughs> he flies obsessively and has and has uh, done this for years. Many times he simply arrives into an airport, finds another flight, and goes somewhere else, doesn't even leave the airport. And to date, he's logged about 4.5 million miles in the air and has made quite a lot of money blogging about it all. But he has left so many people behind. He has burned bridges. Uh, in fact, in a Rolling Stone interview a number of years ago, he, he recalled a scene that he witnessed in the uh, Delhi International Airport in India. He said, uh, you see a whole family, 20 people, picking someone up from the airport, people with signs, people with balloons, with flowers. He says there's something beautiful about that. But he didn't have that. He left. <laughs> the spark of the early church, it, you see, it wasn't kindled by cutting off those people who left or who went away. Went away. So, so what was it? What, what prepared them for God's direction, for the Spirit's direction in their life? If it's not burning bridges, what is it? Well, for them, it's, it's forging a new family with those who've committed. Now, that's tougher. Let's be honest. Picking up the pieces and rebuilding and, and putting past mistakes behind you and letting bygones be bygones and forgiving and accepting change and welcoming new people. That's tough stuff. I mean, just look in verse 13 at the list of people who have, have committed to Jesus in that upper room. They're waiting for God's Spirit. Just look at the list. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Never forget, we, we, we gloss over this beautiful list, but never forget how motley of a crew this was. Before Jesus, Matthew worked with the Romans as a tax collector. Simon fought the Romans as a zealot, a military wing of the Jewish independence movement. James and John, sons of thunder, wanted to burn down a Samaritan city because they doubted Jesus. Thomas doubted Jesus and wanted to put his hands in his scars. These are hard pieces to rebuild. And beside that, there were the women, Luke says. There are ladies probably who followed Jesus from Galilee and uh, witnessed his crucifixion. Maybe even these are the apostles' wives along with them. But listen, women disciples right alongside men disciples in this culture? Ooh. That there were some sparks that flew there. Hard pieces to put together. One of those ladies is mentioned in particular, Mary the mother of Jesus. This is her only mention in the book of Acts. But just like in the beginning of Luke's gospel, Mary is there and participating in a special move of the Spirit. So too, in the beginning of Luke's second book, the book of Acts, here Mary is again, participating in a special move of the Spirit. She will not be mentioned again in New Testament history, 
But it's a pretty apt picture that here she is worshiping with these followers of her son. She is a piece to all of this as well. And then, of course, there are the brothers of Jesus, too. James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. You may remember from John's gospel, they didn't think much of Jesus when he was during, during his ministry. Go and show off at the festival, they said. Let everybody see all your powers, John says. Even his own brothers did not believe in him. But their minds changed. A resurrected Jesus appeared to his brother James. Boy, I would have loved to have been in that room. <laughs> it just seems to me that when you watch your brother defeat death, it might change your mind about him. There are some of the pieces here too. But can you imagine the room? Can you imagine the trust that had to be built among these people, the trust that had to be rebuilt? His brothers are new to belief. The disciples have plenty of reasons to point fingers at each other. And then you have these women who are a strange kind of cultural fit in the midst of all of this. But doubt wouldn't strike God's, the flint of God's gospel flame. Instead, did you notice they all joined together? Homothumadon is the word only found in Luke's writings. It appears to be one of his favorite terms to describe the unity of believers in Jesus with one mind is the idea, with one purpose. They didn't burn bridges with each other. They chose to forge a new family together. I suppose you could say it's the same with Ben Schlappig. <laughs> After burning so many bridges and sort of leaving so many people behind. He has attempted to rebuild a new family in this crazy life that he lives. He loves the Virgin Atlantic Clubhouse and JFK Airport in New York, so all the staff there know him by name, and he knows them all by name. And as he globe trots all around the world, he'll come by every few weeks to say hi to everybody. First-class flight attendants have become like family. He wants to settle down one day, but... Um, in the meantime, <laughs> and maybe in a similar way, these disciples, they, they've sort of become family together, this motley crew, and, and the steel that sparked their new family was prayer. What dominated their time was prayer together. Why? Why would they do that? Because they determined that hearing from God's spirit, hearing God's direction was best done together. It still is. You want to hear God's direction in your life? Join together in prayer. I know, man, I know. There's so much division these days. Everywhere you turn, even in our city, there's red politics and blue politics. There's division and disagreement over masks and vaccines and public policy and all the rest. There's division over the Cardinals and the Cubs. One side of that is clearly right and the other will come to see, but it's, you know, it's a long battle. It's division. It's division. And some people have past hurts. Some people, even in this place, are new to belief in Jesus. Maybe there's some thoughts that there are people here that don't belong. Maybe there's some that think 
those people are new, they haven't paid their dues like I have. And the easiest thing to do is to sort of uh, go your own way and badmouth everybody in your rearview mirror. But what if instead we forged a new family together? And we did it through prayer. Just look in Acts at the sparks that that fostered for those first disciples. Peter stood up to lead, even through his past failures. He just denied Jesus about a month or so before. He stood up to lead among these people. And in verse 20, the the scriptures were read in a new light. Peter says, it's written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted and let there be no one to dwell in it and and may another take his place of leadership and the the scriptures are are reassembling the pieces of their community and and in verse 21, they they apply the scriptures to their lives. Therefore, uh, Peter says, it's necessary to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. They're applying the scriptures to their situation. Verse 23, they chose a new leader to strengthen this new family that they're building. They nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. And then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you've chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go to his place where he belongs. And then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. It's, it's a beautiful picture. Again, remember, the Spirit has not come on the church yet, and so these disciples of Jesus are using an old, ancient method of determining God's will through, through the casting of lots, small stones, uh, probably a couple of them here that were, were placed in a glass jar that would be cast to see which of the two men would take over this role. Um, one would signify Joseph, literally uh, Barsabbas, the son of the Sabbath, maybe born on the Sabbath, and Matthias, whose name means gift of God. And they said, God, you know their hearts which one and they rolled the stones and the first one that came out was God's answer to their prayer and it was proof of Proverbs 16 that the lot is cast into the lap but every decision from the is from the Lord and then here's what I want you to see their choice after it there's no division there's no rivalry there's no fighting there's no concern they forged a new family with new leadership and they move forward Joseph, by many accounts of tradition, would go on to do great missionary work. According to Eusebius and some others, he was once forced to drink by persecuting unbelievers snake venom. But he drank it in the name of the Lord and he was unharmed. (laughs) Matthias, by tradition, also was speculated to go on and do great missionary work in the world as well, even though he wasn't, or even though uh, Joseph wasn't selected and Matthias was, both did great missionary work, Matthias to the Ethiopians by some accounts, but who knows? All we know is they forged a family of faith together and God honored them with his spirit and with his direction and the church was born. Could you use God's direction in your life? A new tune You've got a choice. You could turn your back and burn bridges in your life. Or you could do the hard work of forging a new family. I hope that you will pray with these people, even this week. Find someone by phone, across the table. Find someone to pray with this week. Build something here. Forge a new family here. And I believe 
God will do something amazing, even with some simple sparks. Lord, you know everyone's heart, and we just pray this morning as we seek to be your church in this world that we'd be a forgiving people and a compassionate people and a gracious people and a people led by your spirit. Help us to hear clearly this week and to follow obediently as we trust in our Savior Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.